want to pray for us. Lord God, we worship you this morning. Lord, I love that song early in the morning. Uh, we, we sing your praise. We seek you in the morning. And Father, I pray that you would help us all to glorify you by engaging with your word. Protect me from error, Father God. May I communicate clearly. And Father, may I uh, communicate boldly and lovingly. May we all heed your word, Father, and listen with ears and with hearts and respond by acting upon these things, Father. May it not fall on dead ears, Lord, or dull hearts, but Spirit, make our hearts sensitive to your word now and move us toward praise and worship and obedience because you are worthy and you're worthy because of all that you are, all that you've done for us in Jesus Christ, who died for sinners. I pray his name. Amen. All right. Well, this morning, I want us to think together about growing in the knowledge of Christ. Growing in the knowledge of Christ. I think at, at good evangelical churches... We emphasize to the men that we need to be strong leaders. We need strong leaders in our home. We need to be strong leaders in our churches. I think we also call each other to be men who read the Bible and men who pray. We call each other to work hard and to serve hard and to be men of integrity. We emphasize solid doctrine and good theology. And all of those things are wonderful and good and right. But we can do all of those things and think all of those things and call each other to all of those things without pursuing a greater knowledge of Christ, without growth in knowing Christ. And so I want us to walk away at the end of this message inspired to know Christ more and to have a hunger for knowing Christ more. And so even as I'm, I'm talking to you now, say a, a quick prayer in your heart for that to be the case for you and for all of us. In terms of knowing Christ and knowing who he is, I, I want us to first think about this reality. We cannot know God, we cannot know Christ apart from him initiating revelation, giving us revelation, right? We are completely dependent on God to know God, right? We're completely dependent on God to know God. See, we could not have found him if he did not want to be found, right? We could not know him if he did not want to be known. He had to reveal himself to us, and he has revealed himself to us in creation, Right? General revelation. He has he's revealed himself to us in the scriptures. Right, Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God. Revelation is, is not us um, having some kind of epiphany right? on our own, left to ourselves. Right? God had to reveal himself, and he's done so in creation and in his word. And we would not know him apart from him choosing to reveal himself. And two, there is the, the knowledge that we receive in conversion. Now, I want to show you a text there that, that helps us understand that he initiated conversion, therefore we can know Christ. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 4, 6. 
We are dependent on God to know God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we come to Christ, when he converts us, it's essentially like him um, saying, let there be light in our hearts so we can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We can know him because he initiated our conversion. He, he opened our blind eyes, the blind eyes of our hearts, so that we would see his glory. And so he has initiated revelation. He's given us revelation, but he's also converted us. He has initiated that so that we can have knowledge of him. And so I ask this question, is this not marvelous, marvelously kind of God? Given our sinful, rebellious state before Christ, given the fact that we are hostile toward him, enemies of God, that he would choose to reveal himself and then choose to convert us and to say, let there be light in our hearts so that we would know him. Isn't that marvelously kind of him to do? Because we could not have, we, we would not have and we could not have gotten there on our own. We had to have him initiate. I want to draw your attention to the, the kindness of God in that. But what else can we understand? Or what should we understand about the knowledge of Christ? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. You could actually look at your little card there if you wanted to. The blue card has that same text there right in front of you. But Philippians 3, 7, and 8. This is one of my favorite texts of Scripture in the Bible. It's what Paul writes. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We could go on, but I want to stop there because um, he says something in that last part of that sentence that's so important. Surpassing worth. Knowing Christ is of surpassing worth. So what he has done, he's using accounting language here, okay? Everything that was in his gain column, if you're thinking of accounting terms, everything that was gained to him now is in the loss column, right? It's lost to him. And, and what was in the loss column before Christ? Because he was an enemy of Christ before, a persecutor of the church before. Everything that was in the loss column now is in the gain column for him, right? It is of surpassing worth that he know Christ Jesus. Therefore, all of the things, his credentials, right, his achievements, all of those things are now lost to him. And so, consider that knowing Christ is of surpassing worth and what that means for what we should be doing in terms of pursuing that knowledge more. 
Turn to 2 Peter 3.18. I'm glad you have your Bibles this morning. 2 Peter 3.18. Very last verse here at the end of 2 Peter. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, something I want to point you, your attention toward is the fact that in verse 18, you have grow as an imperative. Okay? Isn't that interesting? Grow. You grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that's a commandment for you and I, for us to grow in knowing Christ Jesus. So we have the, the knowledge of Christ, right? It, knowing Christ is of surpassing worth. And then we have Peter here saying, you must grow in that knowledge. Now let me draw your attention to something else that is marvelously kind of God. That he would command us towards something that is of surpassing worth. I hope that you don't buck against the commandments of the Lord God in Scripture. Does God ever command us to something that is, is bad for us? Does he ever command us towards something that is, is not for our good and for his glory? And here we have, we have in Philippians, Paul telling us that he's... That Knowing Christ for him is of surpassing worth. And then we've got Peter saying, grow in that knowledge. He's telling us, grow in, in this knowledge of something that is valuable, more valuable, c continually, and surpassing all value. And so, don't kick against God's commands. He's telling us to know Christ more, and that is something that you and I, once we... When we begin to know that, that knowledge more and more, you'll see what Paul sees. You'll see that it, it is valuable beyond the things that you think are valuable, whether it be approval of man, whether it be respect, whether it be material possessions, whether it be whatever it is that you idolize. You will see that those things are loss and that the knowledge of Christ is gain and of surpassing worth. And so he's commanding us to something that is good, not just good, but sur of surpassing worth. Now, what does the word knowledge mean here? And we've, we've looked at 2 Corinthians 4, 6. We've looked at Philippians 3, 8. We've looked at 2 Peter 3, 18. Now, we've, the word for knowledge or know in each of those texts is gnosis. Gnosis. The Greek word. So, this is what that word means. It's personal knowledge of Christ. Personal knowledge of Christ. Uh, John MacArthur says it really well here in his Philippians commentary. He says, to, it is to know experientially by personal involvement. To know experientially by personal involvement. So, this is more than knowledge that is necessary to succeed at Bible trivia. Right? More than facts and definitions of Jesus Christ. Though, and having facts of Jesus is important, 
We need to know facts about Jesus. He is historical. We, we see facts. We see truths that we need to understand, propositional truths in the scriptures. But this knowledge we're talking about is personal. It's intimate. You, it's the knowledge you experience by involving yourself with Jesus Christ. And so, how do we grow in this kind of knowledge? We're, we're commanded to. We're commanded to grow in that kind of personal knowledge. How do we do it? I want to offer to you two answers to that question today. Two answers. Number one, take what you know about Jesus. Take these facts, these truths you've discovered in the word of God. Take those things, his person and his work, right? What you know of his person and his work. And diligently remind yourself that those things, those characteristics, those works that he's done are for you. They are for you you if you are in christ if you've turned from sin and you've turned to christ as savior those things are for you his attributes are for you his work is for you now is that discounting the fact that ultimately it is for the glory of god no i'm not discounting that whatsoever but the truths of scripture are clear he has done this for us ultimately for the glory of his father yes but he has done it for us also so how would we do that? How do we take the things that we know we, of Christ that we find in the scriptures and then remind ourselves of the fact that they're for us? I, I just want to show you how, really, Paul does that for us already in the New Testament. Turn with me to, to Ephesians chapter 1. It's already laid out for us. We're already told repeatedly that these things are for us. But we need to draw our attention to those things in Scripture and praise God for these things that we find. So <clears throat> Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is packed full of theology and what has been done for sinners by God in Christ. You're going to see the words in him or in Christ used repeatedly in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, Okay. So I just want to point out a few things to you as, as we're looking at this text together. Uh, some of the things that are true, uh, that God has done in Christ, okay? Blessed. He, he, has, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, verse 3, okay? He chose us in him. That's verse 4. Verse 5, he predestined us. Right, through Jesus Christ. Look, and again, in 6, blessed us in the beloved. Again, verse 7, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of grace, which he lavished upon us. Look at verse 11, in him, that's Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard of the, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the, holy, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. I mean, that, that's not all of it, but it's a lot of it, right? Of what he's done. And just notice repeatedly the pronouns. Us, us, we, us. He's done these things for us. Upon us, in him we have obtained. 
And the scriptures are clear. These things, yes, Jesus has done these things. These are realities. But then we've got to take the next step and we've got to remember, he's done that for me. Me, personally. Yes, for the church. But for me, too, as an individual in a body, he's done it for me personally. Because it's that, that personal knowledge, right? It's that experiential knowledge, that intimate knowledge that comes through personal involvement with him. So remind yourself that this, it's not that God, that God, through Christ, has done these things, and we're, just, we're over here and we're looking at these things saying, wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. Yes, as a spectator looking from the outside in, we get to look at these realities as recipients. God in Christ did this for me. All these things, these wonderful, miraculous things, all these different facets of the gospel diamond for me. The undeserved sinner, the enemy of God, the wretch for me when I deserved his wrath and I deserved his punishment. So you could do the same thing in chapter two. You could really do, do it with the first three chapters of Ephesians, right? It's all doctrine. Here's what God in Christ did for you. Look at, look, look at chapter 2. Again, talking in the first three verses there of our being dead in trespasses and sins, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Uh, we are by nature children of wrath, right? That's us. But then, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were, we were dead in trend, uh, our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You start, I want you to start noticing the pronouns. You, us, we. When you're looking at these gospel-rich texts. So that your heart will be moved with love so that you will know him through that personal involvement because you understand that he died for you and all the different things that come with that. All the, the reconciliation, the redemption, right? The, uh, the, the fact that uh, you are a child of God, you've been adopted into his family through Christ Jesus and so many more. That's number one. Oh, actually, let, let me say something else to, uh, to that as well. You read the Bible differently than you read any other book, okay? You, you read it differently than any other book. You could read a biography of Eric Little, Winston Churchill, and you could walk away and say, I'm inspired by some of the things that I see in these people's lives. But those men never knew you, right? And they never personally sacrificed for you. But when you read the Gospels, for instance, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you are encountering so much more than biography, aren't you? So much more than biography. The biblical record of the humble, miraculous life of the perfect Son of God, his substitutionary death to atone for sin, and his bodily resurrection triumphing over the grave for you. For you. You personally along with all the others who believe. Don't read the Gospels 
as simply biography. Read them as God's revelation to you of the record of what Christ has done for you. And let that move your heart and pray that it would move your heart. You don't read the Bible like any other book. See, here's, here's the problem. We, we, um, we have to remind ourselves to engage in this way whenever we're reading the scriptures because we've become used to reading in a certain way. Whether we're reading online, we're reading a newspaper, uh, we read a news report and we're just, you know, it's kind of a passive approach to reading, right? We're just getting the facts. It's like an information dump, right? And we, we read a helpful blog with, with certain tips on it. And it's, it's like that, that commercial I saw when I was watching the Olympics, you know, where, where the, the mom is there with her two, two boys and um, her dad's sitting there and they, they don't have the internet in their house, right? And they're, they're freaking out because they don't have the internet in their house. Uh, it's down for like, you know, seven minutes or something. So her dad's sitting there and she said, hey, why don't you tell some stories? And she wants to keep swiping through the stories. Like, no, next one, next, next, next. Because she didn't like the stories. And that's the way we've, we've learned to read. We don't, we don't scroll through the Bible and say, what's something that's, that piques my interest? You know, scroll through the pages. We don't do that. We don't read it like that. We're not passive readers of the Bible. See, when we read the Bible... We are to bow in submission. We are to exclaim in praise. We are to give thanks. We are to worship in response. To engage with its words. Pray, pray the things that we read. Turn them into prayers for ourselves and for others. And then we, we bring them to the Lord. See, when we're reading on the internet, we're reading newspapers, we read receive information cognitively or it kind of passes through our minds but we often don't engage with it on a personal level that's not true with our reading of scriptures we must engage with it it is not like reading anything else when we read the bible we receive it as revelation from god that is living and active right living and active and personally directed to us with us in mind as individuals in the body of christ and we know that when we read the, the Bible, God has written it, he's revealed it to us with perfectly loving and good intention for his glory and our good. Okay, so that is number one. How do we grow in the, the personal, intimate, experiential knowledge of Christ? Number two, we take what we know of Jesus, you know, about who, his character and his work, we take what we know and we use it, okay? We use what we know. It's not just about knowledge puffing us up so we know more about him cognitively, but we must take what we know of him and use it to relate to him. Use it to relate to him. We do that with any other relationship we have, right? I mean, if, if you are married and you have a spouse, then you take the knowledge that you have of her, what, what pleases her, what, what doesn't please her, the things that you know of her character, her past, and you use that information to relate to her, right? In what you talk about, in what you do, and how you serve her, right? We do that with every relationship. We must do it with the Lord. We must do it with Jesus as well. But again, he is different. He is, he is Lord, so we must relate to him as Lord with this information, not just like we would um, interact with anybody else, but we must treat him 
as he is, and he is Savior, and he is Lord, and he is sovereign. So, I want to give you some examples of how to do that. When you take a scripture and how you would use what you know of Christ in these scriptures to relate to him, right? Because this is knowledge, like we, we heard in that definition. This is knowledge, experiential knowledge, through personal involvement. So we've got to relate or involve ourselves with Christ. Okay, so uh, look with me at Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. How would we do this as we're reading through the scriptures? Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. This is about Jesus. The author writes, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. It's like us, right? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, how would we take that? If we're reading that in our quiet times, right? If we're in our devotional time, if we come across those verses, how would we use that to relate back to Jesus? Well, you could, you could stop and praise him. Thank you that you've become like us in every respect. Thank you that you're a merciful and faithful high priest. Thank you that you've made propitiation. That means you've, you've absorbed the wrath of God for my sins. Praise you for that, God. Praise you for that, Christ. And thank you that you are my help in temptation. Because of those things in verse 17, and, and I'm told in verse 18 that you're my help when I'm tempted. Praise you. So you could praise him because of that. But also, you know what you could do? You could relate to him by seeking his help when you are tempted. Right? Believe what this says, and then when you are tempted, then you seek his help because you understand that he is your help when you're tempted. Step out on faith and make sure that you are heeding this text in that way. And by the way, in terms of praising Jesus for the things that we see in Scripture, I hope, I hope that we're not um, I hope that we're not above singing a, a song of praise in our room of prayer or the living room when we are reading the Bible. Would, would you sing, sing a, a, a verse of a, a song that you know that exalts Jesus Christ? Exclaim to him in song. You don't have to be with other people to sing to Jesus. Right? I know, maybe we think that, but we shouldn't. It could be a way you relate to him in in view of the text that you read. Another one we know well, Luke 9, 23, is when Jesus gives, tells what a disciple must do, right? If you're going to be my disciples, what, what, what are you going to do? What should you do? He says, Luke 9, 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. How do you, how do you relate? How do you take that? You, you read that. How do you relate to Jesus with it? Fall in line. Fall in line. Obey. It says daily 
And so when you're, if, you, if you read that text of scripture in the morning, before you go to work, before you go to school, you know it says daily. So today I should deny myself. It's not, it's not for some other day. It's daily. I'm to deny myself and follow Jesus. So you could relate to Jesus by asking for help to do that, asking for grace to do that, but you could also relate to him by making a plan. What are some things I see in my day that maybe I was planning to do that maybe I should be doing? How can I deny myself and choose to follow Christ instead in that specific instance? How can I change my plan so that I am following Christ as his disciple? Relate to him in that way. And really, with any command you see in Scripture, because you know you can't obey the commandments of the Lord Jesus left to yourself. You're weak. I'm weak. So pray, plead, be dependent. I can't do this, Lord. I feel so inadequate. Please have your power come rest upon me in my weakness so that I can walk in faithfulness and in love to you. At the end of the Great Commission, Jesus in Matthew 28, 20 says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That promise, how, how do you relate to Jesus based on that promise? Well, you know what you could do? Relate to him by taking a risk with the gospel. Right? Because the, the Great Commission came right before that. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. That's what Jesus said right before that. And then he gives the promise in verse 20, I'm with you always. So how do you take that promise and relate to it? I'm going to take a risk. He's with me. I know he's with me. He just told me he's with me. So I'm going to go step out on faith. I'm going to go share the gospel. I'm going to take a risk with the gospel, trusting that Jesus will be with me in that. What about Ephesians 4.32? How can we relate to Jesus in Ephesians 4.32? I've got a commandment here. If you go back to verse 31, you get the put, the put off side of this commandment. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. So if you are called to forgive, then what you can do is you can meditate on the fact that you've been forgiven so that you can forgive, right? So and I'm forgiven by God in Christ. So what does that mean? Think of the things that you've been forgiven of. Think of the, the, the guilt that has been wiped away. The fact that um, all of the ways in which you have committed atrocities against God in your, in your heart, in your mind, with your speech, with your actions, think of those things and then remember that because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, they're wiped away and you're forgiven. Be specific in, in remembering what you're forgiven of. Meditate on that reality so that your heart will be ready forgive and be kind relate see whenever we read the scriptures we should 
be interactive. God's speaking to us. Let's relate to him. Let's respond in a way that is pleasing to him. I think, you know, I think you see this in the Psalms. The, the psalmists often relate using truths of God that they know. They relate back to him. They do a good job of this. And, it, and actually, I think one of the, the best places in Scripture where you see uh, a psalmist take truth and respond to it and relate to God based on that truth is Psalm 119. So I want to show you a stanza of how, how this looks. Psalm 119, 119, starting in verse 129. Starting in verse 129. <clears throat> there are truths that the psalmist knows of God. And look, look what he does with them. So he, he tells God, first of all, verse 129, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. See, he's got that truth. Your testimonies are wonderful. Well, and as a result of that, or because of that, my soul keeps them, obeys them. He says again, he's, he's declaring this truth to God. The unfolding of your words gives light. He's talking to God. He's not, he's not talking to somebody else. Right? He's talking to God. He says the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Right? He's talking about the, what the word does. He's telling God, that not that God needs to know that, but you're declaring it back to him because it's true. Right? He, he is pleased with us, declaring to him the truths of what he's done and who he is. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments, telling God that my heart is desperate for you in this way. And then he starts making requests, right? He's, he's been telling God these truths. Now he's going to make requests. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. So he makes a request based on a truth that he knows. You see that, right? Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way. That's what's common for you. That's, that's what's normal for you. So based on your pattern, God, then turn to me and be gracious to me. So he's taking truth and he's making a request based on that truth, which is what we've been talking about doing, right? You got a commandment? Yes. Plead for help in that commandment. Plead because of what you see revealed. Another request. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me redeem me from man's oppression that i may keep your precepts right so he's making a request so that he can obey the lord right answer this prayer for me not so i can spend um so, spend something on my passions but so that i can keep your word make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes and then again, he makes a declaration about his response to truth. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. I think the psalmists do a good job of this. And I just want to draw your attention to that when you're reading through the psalms of these, these authors writing to God and they're, they're, um, they're engaging with truth. Based on this truth, I will tell you things that are true. I will, I will re reflect them back to you in my prayers. And I will, I will make requests based on those truths so that I can obey your truth. Are we engaging like this with the, the truths of Christ that we see in the word of God? We ought to be doing this more and more. Do you stop 
in, in the middle of your reading, uh, and, and when you see something that, that the Lord uses to grip your heart or to move your heart, stop right there. Lord, thank you. Lord, help me. Or you know what? Maybe, maybe you come across a text like Matthew 10, 28, where, where Jesus says, which he tells his disciples not to fear man, right? Because they can only kill the body. He says, rather you should fear God who can kill both body and soul in hell. You say, maybe, maybe you read that verse and you're, you're convicted. I fear man. I fear man. What should you do? Stop. Repent. God, I do. I, I have I've denied you in the face of people who need to hear your truth. Because I, I wanted people to like me or I wanted their approval or their respect, I said nothing. Forgive me. Help me. Grant me repentance. Help me to bear fruit in keeping with repentance and change. Give me grace to change. You relate to Jesus by repenting based on truth that he has revealed, truths of him. Do we see... Um, you guys, is this making sense? Is, are you guys tracking with this? Good, good. So, those are two ways for us to know Christ more experientially and personally. And the reason why I think this is so important is because if we don't pursue growth in this knowledge of Christ, we'll begin to make compromises on truth and the way we live. If you don't really know him personally, then what's going to keep you from making a compromise as our, our, our country changes more and more? As things get harder, it gets harder to be a Christian and to, to live a life of integrity, a life of faithfulness to Christ in your day-to-day -day life. If you don't know him personally, if you're not growing in this, this personal knowledge, then there's not going to be much to keep you from bolting and choosing to deny your creator and savior. We need to be able to say, of course, I will be faithful to Christ. He is infinitely more magnificent than comfort or approval. He's infinitely more magnificent. And I know it personally. We need to be able to say, of course I will be faithful to Christ. He has done infinitely more for me than worldly pleasures and American rights. Infinitely more. And when we know that and we've experienced that, then we will be faithful. We'll say, are you, are you kidding me? Deny Christ? Do you know what he's done for me? Do you know who he is for me? I want to say something to unbelievers for anybody who doesn't know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want to, to plead with you, if you don't know him, to turn from your way, turn from your lawlessness, denying Christ with your life, and embrace Jesus Christ whom God gave as the payment for sin, the only payment for sin. He lived a perfect life in our place. He died taking our penalty 
that we deserved on the cross, and he rose again, proving that he's God, proving everything he said is true, and defeating death for us. And if you turn from sin and trust in him, you will be saved and you will be forgiven. And these promises and these things I've been talking about will be for you too. The only way to escape the punishment, the only way to escape the punishment of God is through Jesus. But listen to this. When God reconciles you to himself through Christ, he doesn't just reconcile you to facts about him. Instead, he takes you from hostile opposition to know him intimately, personally, deeply, and vibrantly. He doesn't just give you forgiveness, which is, he does, and that is wonderful. Do, do not discount that. He gives you forgiveness. You need it. But he also gives you himself. He gives you himself. Think about this. It would not speak to God's power and to his glory much if in Christ we were reconciled from enemy to just God being tolerant of us, right? No, but he reconciles us and brings us into intimate fellowship with him and his family to know him personally. And he gives us what we need to worship him. He gives us what we need to obey him. And he gives us a mission to do. And Jesus tells us that he's making a place for us in heaven right now. We're reconciled to him. Not just facts about him, but, but to know him personally, intimately, deeply. That is amazing love. And I hope these things for you are challenging. They certainly are to me. And Let's pray now. Let's plead together that these things would be more and more true of us. God, help us. You are so worthy. You are so marvelously kind to give us yourself through Christ. To give us Christ to know. To give us yourself to know. To not just facts, but to know you personally. You have sent your son to die, God, so that we would know him and not just know him as an acquaintance, but know him in a deep relationship as our Lord, as our Savior, as our Master. Thank you for the fellowship we have with you now. Thank you for the knowledge we can't have of you. And may we grow in that knowledge. May we not simply read the Bible as any other book. May we remember that all these things that Christ has done, he's done for us. For your glory, yes, ultimately, but for us. And may we relate to him based upon this truth. May we not just be passive spectators or passive readers of the word of God. And we engage deeply and relate to you on an intimate level so that we may know you, so that we may stand up for you and worship you and not compromise in this life you've called us to live. I pray this in Jesus' name.